Welcome back to Subject to Cross. I'm your host, Caroline Donato. And I'm your co-host, Pete Kratza. And this is episode 29. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss former Bills punter Matt Ariza. Are we sure you're pronouncing his name correctly? I think it's Did Ariza. You look it up? I looked it up. I, I think that's how you pronounce it. You know, I Punt God is punt, what he was known. Punt God Matt Ariza, who was accused of gang rape and lost his position with the Buffalo Bills as a result of that investigation. And we're going to get into it. And I think it follows nicely from episode 28, which has since been taken down for maintenance. Um, And hopefully it'll be back up soon by the time episode 29 is out or shortly thereafter. And it follows episode 28 pretty nicely because in episode 28, we had permission to talk about a case of ours in Chester County where our client was accused of rape and strangulation and some pretty awful offenses, which he didn't commit. And he had permission from him to discuss. Yes, we had permission from him to discuss it. It, He was acquitted by jury. Um, A jury of fellow citizens found him not guilty of these offenses. And in episode 28, we talked about the impact of that to him. There was impact in the media. There was impact from uh, a county agency and uh, commentary by the district attorney's office. We gave our own commentary to that. And, you know, these cases are very difficult. Um, They're difficult for many reasons, for the people who come forward to say something happened to them, for the people who are accused of the crime, for the families of all of those involved, and then for the lawyers who are trying to work it out and figure out what is the most fair solution. And sometimes when lawyers can't work it out, the case is presented to a jury and it's up to a jury to decide. But in Matt Ariza's case, it never went to a jury from the criminal perspective. And there's an article uh, that was written by, I want to say you who, but that's... <laughs> it's Dan Wetzel. <laughs> that's, uh, that's milk or something, yahoo.com sports. And um, it's really interesting what happened in this article and how the district attorney's office approached this case and what happens in, what was this, Arizona? Um, and, and I'll read the article to you, and Pete and I will give some commentary to it. But we did think it followed nicely from... It was California. Cal- wasn't it SDSU, San Diego State University? San Diego State, yes. Um, and hopefully, at some point, episode 28 is back up. Reinstate episode 28. But for now, let's let's talk about Matt Ariza. Um, this article, it was written, yes, by Dan Wetzel. And it starts last August. So this article was written in May of 2023. Last August, just days after earning the starting job as the Buffalo Bills punter, rookie Matt Ariza was the subject of a civil lawsuit alleging that he and two San Diego State football teammates participated in a gang rape of an intoxicated 17-year-old. The graphic allegations in the civil lawsuit created public frenzy, and it included a claim that during an October 15th, 2021 party at a home near SDSU campus, Ariza led the girl into a bedroom where at least three other men waited. 
and once inside, ariseth through the girl onto the bed faced first. This is from the lawsuit. The girl went in and out of consciousness while suffering through a horrific gang rape, and it lasted an hour and a half before she stumbled out of the room bloody and crying, in part because multiple piercings had ripped through the skin during the attack. And I'm just going to take a beat here. The author of this article is quoting from the lawsuit that this young lady filed against Matt Ariza and others. And within days of this allegation and this lawsuit, the Buffalo Bills cut Ariza, who during his record-breaking NCAA career and an 82-yard punt in a preseason game had earned the nickname Punt God. So this young man was doing really well until this allegation, and he was cut. And the Buffalo general manager, Brandon Bean, said, we just think it's the best move for everyone to move on from Matt and let him take care of this situation. And as of the writing of this article... I'm wiping, washing my hands of Matt Ariza. That's what that quote was. And as of the date of this article, in May 2023, Ariza remained out of football, despite the fact that prosecutors announced on December 7th, 2022, after conducting their own 124-day investigation, that they wouldn't press any charges in this case. And... In December of 2022, there were very few details about their reasoning uh, in their initial statement. But since then, a fuller picture was developed because a 200-plus page transcript obtained by Yahoo Sports uh, described the deputy district attorney's offered reason and explanation to the girl and her attorneys as to why they declined prosecution. So before we move on with this article, let's back up a second here, Pete, and describe to the listeners what's going on. You want me to do that or you want to do it? You're on a roll. Go. Yeah. So I just want to, I want to break this down a little bit. Okay. Um, in this particular allegation, there was a civil lawsuit filed and there was a criminal prosecution or criminal investigation initiated simultaneously. Civil is different from criminal. Civil seeks damages, money awards, um, as a result of something, some damage or pain or injury incurred. From the criminal perspective, criminal seeks punishment uh, through the criminal justice system. So when this 17-year-old and her family made this allegation, that branched off into two, two different actions, one civil, one criminal. Ultimately, when that allegation came about, the Buffalo Bills cuts Matt Ariza, saying he needs to work this out. And he's been out of a job since 2021 because of this accusation. The civil lawsuit takes form, um, and the criminal investigation is simultaneously occurring. But what's interesting here is when the DA's office declined prosecution, in their prosecution declination, they have a court reporter transcribing. They, they give the reasoning to the complainant as to why they're not going to prosecute, and there's a transcription made of that. That's remarkable. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems that that happens in California. Um, I mean, I don't know where else it occurs. It sure as heck doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen here. And I think I said Arizona because of Ariza. <laughs> Hmm. I just think I was jumbling words in my head. But yes. The Aztecs, the San Diego State University Aztecs. 
Are you impressed? I know that. I am. Thanks. But I wanted to take a moment to just... That's going to further confuse you with Arizona. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm... Rooted in California here, okay. and I think it's remarkable that a no, prosecution is. declination is described to the complainant, and there's record of it. Right, and I don't know that the prosecution was planning on releasing this transcript. It's left unsaid how Yahoo Sports obtained it. Um, perhaps Arise's camp, um, or, you know, somehow facilitated that, um, which would be, you know, that's what we would try to do. Um, but it is pretty incredible that there is this detailed, it's almost like a, um, um, you know, like a court proceeding where the prosecutor is in effect giving an argument to the complainant and, uh, and her lawyers as to why they, um, not only couldn't prosecute Ariza, but no one related to the incident. And I don't want to, you know steal your thunder but you know i have some thoughts as to you know the 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 evidence that was available to them in this case they couldn't get away from um and thank god for ariza and the other people that were accused i don't even know if he has a job still (laughs) no but i mean the fact is that there was all kinds of video there was cell phone video in addition to witnesses that they interviewed who undercut her story but go ahead. So, so with that foundation, let's go into it a little bit more. So the article continues, perhaps most notably, the district attorney's office concluded that Ariza couldn't have led the girl into the alleged gang rape because he left the home at about 1230 a.m., an hour prior to when evidence suggested the alleged rape would have occurred. He wasn't even at the party anymore, Deputy District Attorney Trisha Amador explained, so this is part of the transcript, I assume. He wasn't even at the party anymore. Later, Amador stated of the timeline of events, quote, all I know is that at that point, suspect Ariza is gone from the party. Additionally, prosecutors told the girl that video recordings of the incident in the bedroom made it impossible to determine, let alone prosecute. The accused, anyone, anyone, whether there was a gang rape at all that night, rather than consensual sex with the other men. Mm-hmm. The accuser's attorney, Dan Gillian, so this is the civil attorney, couldn't be reached for comment by Yahoo Sports. But in a statement to Fox News Digital, Gillian said, of his client, said his client won't be bullied into dropping the civil lawsuit. It's not going to happen. This case is going to trial and will force Ariza to talk, he said. Gillian told CBS 8 in San Diego that the witness on whom prosecutors based their opinion that Ariza was not present during the alleged gang rape was a buddy. But the article continues to explain there's so much more evidence than that that goes to exonerate, meaning show that Ariza didn't do anything wrong, exonerate Ariza. The dual investigations, I'm still reading here, by police and prosecutors included more than 35 witness interviews, including some of the girl's friends who came to the party with her that night. It included the results of a sexual assault team exam conducted the following day, which in our jurisdiction would be a sexual assault nurse examination, and 10 search warrants that produced four terabytes of information including numerous short videos of some of the alleged encounters. 
they led authorities to come to vastly different conclusions than what was alleged in the civil lawsuit. I mean, how can the civil lawsuit get away with this? We'll have to see. Prosecutors explained to the girl and her representatives in a sensitive and detailed manner during the meeting, allowing for questions and pushback from both the girl and her attorney. Ariza, whose life has been upended since he was named in the civil lawsuit, hopes this is enough for NFL teams to take a second look at him, despite the civil suit still being active, according to his attorney. He and the other two players named in the suit vehemently deny any gang rape or knowledge that the girl was below California's age of consent, which is 18, or whether she was intoxicated. Any sexual contact, Ariza has said, was consensual. And now here, essentially, are local prosecutors making his case for him via a recording that not every jurisdiction provides. And that's true. Our jurisdiction doesn't provide it. And just putting a, a pin in this article. I have commentary to that. I wrote, or bothers to perform. Well, that's what I was, that's exactly what I was thinking here, too. Even when prosecution is declined, in our jurisdiction at least, you know, prosecutors aren't inclined to codify their reasoning in writing or in recording or in a transcript, or if it is explained to a complainant, again, codify that somewhere. Um, half the time when prosecution is declined, the, the defense isn't even told. It's, it's just charges aren't filed. So, and they're very coy about it. Because they don't want to, you know, if new evidence comes about, yeah, right. you know, they don't want to be pigeonholed into not bringing forth prosecution. Well, I'll down, go a step further, you know, it, it, and I'm not calling out any particular uh, district attorney's office in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because we've defended these cases, you know, across the state. Um, in our experience, I think I can speak for both of us. Um, once a complaint is made, an investigation like this and a hard decision like this um, isn't normally done. That's what I mean, bothered to perform. Oh, she says this happened. So, yeah, there's a lot of evidence that uh, we acknowledge is problematic. Maybe they acknowledge, maybe they don't. Uh, but we're going to let a jury decide. She deserves to tell her story. And I've railed on this before, um, the fact that prosecutors abdicate their responsibility when they don't have meetings like this because their function is to perform justice. They don't represent um, somebody complaining that uh, of a crime. They're to investigate it. And if their investigation reveals that either it didn't happen, which is pretty clear in this case, it didn't happen, or that they would never be able to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt to a jury, then they're supposed to make that hard decision. And it's easier for them to, to not do that and to just throw it in front of a jury. And what's remarkable, at least in Arise's circumstances, is that there were so many witnesses that gave exculpatory or exonerating information, and there was so much video footage. Sometimes prosecutors in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and as you said, we have tried cases across the Commonwealth. It's not, it's not distilled down to just one uh, county district attorney's office, but they'll couch the prosecution in, we don't have other evidence because oftentimes these things happen behind closed doors, and it's a he said, she said moment. Well, here in Arise's case, there was so much 
other evidence that contradicted what she was fortunately saying. for him fortunately for him so let's let's see what some of that evidence was um for ariza this is part of the article the most powerful exculpatory evidence came from a number of short videos of the encounter between the girl and two or three men in the bedroom Timestamps show it occurred at 1.30 a.m., citing a witness and other information. Prosecutors concluded Ariza had left the party at 12.30 a.m. The lawsuit additionally alleged that Ariza knew or should have known that the girl was only 17 years old and that she was heavily intoxicated. But a witness who was at the house gave a statement to law enforcement that at least one point in the party... You made a statement telling people that you were 18. This is the district attorney telling. There were multiple witnesses that said the girl was telling people she was 18. 18. Um, Amador explained to the accuser another witness at the party, a different one, says that they specifically heard you say that you were 18. And they heard that she was asking for sex. um, And they heard that she, after having some sort of sexual encounter with Ariza, that Uh, she wasn't upset. I think that was one of her friends that she told it to. And then she was daring people to have sex with her, right? And she also said that uh, Ariza uh, led her into a private area of the backyard and she, and, but he says that he never led her anywhere. She walked back into the private area of the backyard when he was urinating. Uh, It, and she had represented that she was 18 at a party like the night before. It's clear that she was telling people she was 18. And, you know, in a lot of these, whether it's in California or Pennsylvania, if you have sex with somebody under the age of consent, uh, the issue becomes whether you knew or should have known that they were 18 or under 18. And here there was ample evidence to suggest that she was advertising that she was 18 to multiple people and that... Um, she was, I mean, she, Amador explained to the girl that additional witness testimony alleged, and this is after she had an encounter with Ariza that they say appeared to have been consensual. You were approaching men at the party saying, I want you to blank me. And if you don't blank me, you're a blank. I think the listeners can kind of fill in the, the blanks there. And, and the civil lawsuit claims that right after the Ariza encounter in the side yard, uh, the football player led her into the bedroom of the house, and, but the timeline shows it's much different. It wasn't right after. Prosecutors said that shortly after being with Ariza, witnesses said the girl again left her group and came back to report that she had had sex with a different man. Again, prosecutors explained witnesses suggested it was consensual. Isn't that remarkable that the prosecutors are explaining that other witnesses are saying from what they saw outwardly, it looked consensual. And she didn't appear intoxicated. And she didn't appear intoxicated. This is from the prosecutor. Quote, again, you're not intoxicated at this point that anyone would know your intoxication level to the point that they would not be able to tell you that you weren't able to give consent. I want to comment on this. This is really significant in a lot of our cases, as it was in Ariza's case. Oftentimes, there will be an allegation of rape or sexual assault involving some sort of party where the complainant has been drinking. And the complainant will say, well, I was so intoxicated, I 
I couldn't give consent. Well, the law requires that the intoxication, you know, people can't read minds. The intoxication must be such that uh, the accused has to be aware of that level of intoxication and consciously disregard the risk that that person is super intoxicated, to put it in, you know, layman terms. And oftentimes, the way the questioning will be in our trials about uh, a complainant who had been drinking is, did you make memory of this? Do you remember this? Did you give consent? Would you have given consent? Were you able to give consent? That's not necessarily what the, that's not what the law requires. The law requires that your intoxication level has to be such that the other person has to be on notice of it. And I think it's remarkable that this this district attorney's office in California recognized that and in a transcribed prosecution declination explained it. The timeline goes on in this article. Prosecutors piece together the timeline that this encounter occurred at 12.55 a.m., the gang, the alleged gang rape, about a half hour after Ariza had left the house. This incident occurred on a living room sofa with one of the football players who was also named in the civil lawsuit. Parts of this encounter were filmed on a cell phone. Prosecutors said footage from the cell phone did not suggest any forced behavior. Quote, there's nothing in the video that sounds like you're saying stop or this hurts or anything like that, an investigator from the district attorney's office said at the meeting. I'm putting a pin in this again. Again, that's significant. That is evidence of non-consent that they're looking for. Stop. Uh, this hurts. Anything like that. The law says you don't have to resist to be raped or to have incurred a sexual assault. But the, there has to be some showing of non-consent, a lack of it consent. It be verbal or physical. Or you could be so inebriated that you're unable to give consent. But again, it's people are not mind readers. There has to be evidence of it. And oftentimes the line of questioning in our trials will be something to the effect of, did you want him to do that? Did you give consent for him to do that? And then the prosecutors will argue, well, that's non-consent. No, it's not. The law is not affirmative consent. The law is not before a person engages in sexual um, conduct with you, you have to say yes. The law is if you don't want that sexual conduct, you have to give some inclination of no. It can't just be in your mind. It has to be verbal, the circumstances, et cetera. And the fact that this district attorney's office explained Although it's that, nice to get. <laughs> I tell younger people it's nice to get that affirmative consent, maybe in writing, maybe. might, might uh, you know, remove spot, some of the spontaneity. I think they're apps to that effect. Really? Yeah. But I thought that was remarkable that, you know, this prosecution declination acknowledged the law as it is. Yeah. And then the article concludes that uh, they offered to show the girl and her lawyers all the videos they called from the cell phones. The girl watched one during the meeting before deciding that was enough. Um, prosecutors also said that videos from the bedroom show the girl's pe piercings were not ripped at the time she and she was not bleeding. Um Amador said her behavior in the videos made prosecuting anyone for rape impossible. I quote, I don't see any elements of force being used in the sexual encounter, end quote, Amador said. Thank God there was video. That's, you know. And all of those witnesses. And the witnesses. And, you know, the article also concludes that a civil lawsuit has a lower burden of proof than a criminal lawsuit. But what's significant in the prosecution declination is it shows that there is evidence that directly contradicts the allegations in the civil lawsuit. Yeah, and I think uh, his lawyers are going to fight like heck to 
you know, to use that in the, in the his civil lawyers are going to fight like heck to use that. But, you know, what's the takeaway there? Takeaway is a guy's still unemployed, you know, and the, the career of a football player, even a punter, is finite. So he's lost two going on three years of his career. Now, listen, he's no choir boy. I mean, you know, he did some things in that party that I, I don't think we would be proud of our son, you know, to have done. Um, yeah, no, it's true. You put yourself in, in, in a position. And the league, the NFL, um, probably has some concerns about image, right? I mean, playing professional football is a privilege. It's not a right. But the, the issue is that people jumped all over him. I saw a, um, a thing on Twitter from uh, a former football player who tweeted, I assume that all these people that were, you know, calling for his head at the time this came out in, in 2021 are going to just as loudly uh, acknowledge that they were wrong. And, of course, they won't. Mm-hmm. It's a feeding frenzy. And we see it. You know, we, we advise our clients that first 48 hours are going to be pretty bad, you know, when this hits the, the, the news. You have to withstand it. And I was thinking in reading this article about the first one of these cases that we did for a student. And, you know, I argued to the jury about how his life had just been basically derailed for two plus years. And all of his friends that had moved on to bigger and better things while he was working in a warehouse, I think I got emotional, uh, which I rarely do. Um, and I was struck by that in terms of, of those witnesses and what had become of him. And he wasn't just not guilty. I mean, listen, we have to we, – we argue cases. It's the burden of proof of the Commonwealth. They have to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. We had established evidence in that case to indicate that he was innocent. And again, not calling on any particular prosecutors, but we shared some of that information that we didn't have to share with prosecutors. And the refrain, which we heard then and which we've heard subsequent from multiple prosecutors' office, she said it happened. We believe her. We're going to let a jury decide. And that's, I think, back to episode 28, if it's ever put out there again. That's why it was so meaningful, um, from at least to me, to share a really hard truth and perspective on even after a jury acquittal, because our clients' lives are really derailed from these types of accusations. And even the people who have contracts in the NFL, their lives are derailed. I mean, imagine the people who are just trying to live a otherwise normal life, not as a professional football player or a professional athlete. I mean, it's that much harder because you don't get that much publicity or perspective on, on what you're going through. And that's why I think it was so important to say, hey, look, these people are accused of pretty awful crimes. We have a client who just went through this back in October and he was acquitted by jury. And then there was commentary by people with offices of authority that, you know, took away from that. And that's not fair when you're dealing with someone's reputation. And I think the other takeaway to this article is jumping to conclusions. Yep. Jumping to the conclusions. public sure does. I mean, it's sensational 
somebody makes an accusation <coughs> and it's it's horrible and the world needs to be a safer place if that person who is the recipient of that accusation needs to be removed from the street and needs to be accountable under the law. It's sensational. But these people who are accused of crimes are real. And they're presumed innocent. And they are presumed innocent. So before you jump to conclusions, when you see that headline, there's more to the story. And that's part of why we podcast about these things. It's, it's not so cut and dry. Anything else on this, Pete? No, that was a that was a um, fine way to end it. All right. Well, that's it for episode 29 of Subject to Cross. And we'll look forward to our next episode with you. We're encouraged to be in the studio. Thank you for your encouragement. And we'll see you next time. Don't you remind them to ask questions, give the email. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you have questions, we have an email, subject to cross at com. Uh, McElroy is spelled M-A-C-E-L-R-E-E.com. And send your questions in. If you know me and Pete personally, feel free to text us your questions. We'll get in the studio. We'll ask them. All right. We'll answer them. Uh, we'll answer them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Signing off. Anything else? Nope. All right. <laughs>